0: Hockey fans and welcome back to Rotowire's Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes. A great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison, Wisconsin. Today we're excited to bring you our first round playoff preview of the upcoming NHL playoffs beginning tonight, actually. In a new wrinkle to our broadcast, we're also coming to you live today, and that will allow you to ask us questions during this episode as well. Of course, the show will be tweeted out and available to you anytime you go over to Rotowire or wherever you get your podcasts. They've been available all season long. They'll continue to be so. On today's episode, as I mentioned, we're going to preview the first round of the NHL playoffs, but before we get into that... Look at the eight series. Let's welcome my host AJ Schultz, to inform you of what you can expect in terms of visual aids on today's podcast. AJ, what's going on, buddy?
1: (laughs) No, we're excited to be live. Um, If you're not if you're not watching us live and and listening to this later, um, you'll be able to find us on the RotoWire Facebook page. You can find the link on the uh, RotoWire Hockey Twitter handle. Um, and then the Rotowire Twitter as well, so you can find uh, find us on all those platforms live and in color. Um, I am decked out in my Sydney Crosby best, while Paul is sporting that Austin Matthews uh, blue. So we are we are decked to the nines here. I even uh, brought out the 2016 championship hat. Penguins could certainly use a reminder that we've won the Stanley Cup recently with how they've been playing lately. So. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited to be live and, and uh, I don't know, that's all I got.
0: <laughs> Very good. Well, AJ, you know, we got to talk also from a fantasy perspective here. People are getting ready for their fantasy playoffs. Doubt- Undoubtedly, many people already drafted their teams. But I'm kind of curious what you do in terms of playoff pool prep in terms of your strategy. For me, it's trying to figure out which teams will emerge from each of the divisions, let's say and make it to the final four. And I load up on those four clubs, focusing, of course, on the top two scoring lines, the special teams for each team that I think is going to go far, and the defense, the top defense pair maybe the top goalie for each club. That's as far as uh, in terms of depth that I want to go in terms of the selection of my team. But it also always changes depending on your draft uh, order and if you get a low pick you you may have to change your strategy on the fly depending on on the teams that you favor and maybe some of those guys will have been picked before your turn comes up so it's something of a bit of a moving target but I don't go usually too uh, too deep into the rosters to get uh, my lineups filled out until the very end of the draft I want to ex- exhaust all the top players possible in the teams that I figure are going to go far what about you
1: yeah, I mean, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a boom or bust guy. Um, we have on rotowire.com, we have an NHL playoff pool cheat sheet that's available. Um, and, and some of that has to do, uh, you know, with how far you think the teams are going to go. Now, I honestly, I somewhat disagree with uh, Kyle, who's uh, our head uh, managing hockey editor he has Austin Matthews listed as number one, uh, McKinnon as number two, Paul, you certainly would agree with that. But for me, <laughs> I don't think your Leafs are going to make it past the round. So while Austin Matthews might get, you know, four or five goals, seven goals, I don't know. He might score every single night, but if he's only doing that for one round and you've got McKinnon and the abs making it to the final, I just think the value there is so much better on, on McKinnon. So uh, that's a good example of how you have to kind of think about these things. Um, but yeah, I'm a boomer bus guy. I, I've seen people that do pools and they try and get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, but I, I'd rather lose in fantastic fashion and have a chance to win uh, than to finish, you know, third, fourth, fifth, or something like that. Um, just because you don't have the, you know, the right guys and in, in the stacks of the right team. So uh, yeah, that pretty much sounds like a similar approach, but Paul, I assume you would take Matthews over McKinnon since you anticipate a, a Stanley Cup victory here for the Leafs?
0: Uh, I, I think we got to slow that roll a little bit. I was misquoted. I said I think the Leafs are going to go far. I think they're <laughs> going to win the first round. And I think they're a smart pick in terms of a semi-long shot in terms of the odds that are being put out there. I put out the Leafs and the Blues as two teams that you could sprinkle a little money on and, and there may be some, uh, some uh, good payoffs if, if one or both of those teams make it to the conference finals. So that's where I'm looking for value, I'll say. Certainly, you've got to make the case that Colorado is a favorite and, and Calgary is probably a favorite. And then you can't discount the two-time defending cup champions. but. They're in a coin flip series with my club, and uh, I'm curious to, to hear when we get to your uh, the fortunes of your pens against the Rangers, looks to be a tough matchup on paper, and there's some injury concerns there as well, and some injury concerns throughout the playoffs will unfold, but, and we'll give you our best insight in terms of who's healthy enough to play right now, and the key injuries that dot the landscape as we enter the first round of the playoffs. So, Why don't we get into this, AJ? We'll begin with a look at the Western Conference. And what we're going to highlight, folks, in each series is the head-to-head matchup in the regular season, special teams performance where we use net power play and net penalty killing numbers to to get you up to speed on that. It's not just the the number of goals you score on the man advantage, but also taking away the goals that are scored against you on the the power play that gets to the net percentage number. And the same thing happens on the penalty kill. You get credit for... The the shorthanded goals that you score will reduce the number of actual uh, power play goals that you give up there and increase your uh, penalty killing percentage. So numbers are a little bit different than your straight power play and straight penalty killing numbers. And then, of course, we'll look at the goalie matchups, the defense pairings, the forward lines as they get ready to play. Of course, power play units are going to be a key in the playoffs, and we're going to try and headline who are the power play units players on each of the clubs uh, that will perform. So let's get into this first series, AJ. The Colorado Avalanche finished first in their division by a mile, and they're going to get the second wild card, which is the Nashville Predators. Now, a little bit of a surprise when I looked into this remembering in the regular season that the Preds actually took three out of four games, but the goal scoring was very close in each of them uh, of two of the games. There were two blowouts, really, one on either side. So uh, total goal scored in the entire season series was 17 to 16 in favor of the Predators. But uh, I make no mistake in saying that the avalanche is loaded for bear and uh, the playoffs could be a different animal the special teams, AJ, why don't you highlight what that uh, breaks down as uh, in terms of the numbers that we have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for net power play, you've got uh, actually, again, the the Preds slightly ahead at 22.5 versus the Abs 22.2, but pretty much even there. I think the difference comes in in the net PK where Colorado is 82.2 and the Predators 79.9 here. So uh, if you're giving a, a special teams advantage, I would give the edge to the abs. The, the power play numbers are pretty similar, um, but there's a, a sizable gap between the penalty kill there. Paul, I'll take us right into the goalie discussion here. Um, and obviously, we have to start right off the bat with the fact that UC Soros uh, is questionable for this uh, for for sure. Game one, possibly even beyond um, with a lower body injury there. That's very bad news for them. And really, it, in some ways, it points to why you maybe don't want to give a guy quite as many games as they gave uh, Saros all year long. I'm not saying that it was a fatigue factor injury, but David Riddich played 17 games this season. 17. That's ridiculously low. Now he's potentially going to have to be their game one starter here. Um, his playoff experience is minimal as well. And so it just it's it's a huge red flag to me. On the flip side, Colorado, Darcy Kemper playing some of the best goaltending of his entire career um, has, you know, more wins than he's ever recorded previously at 37. And I mean, that's by a wide margin here. Um, the goals against the average is 2.5. So when you have that offense in front of you. So for me, Paul, in terms of goalies, it's a clear landslide in favor of Colorado right now. Now, if Soros comes back, I still give the edge to Colorado, but it's a lot closer um, than where it is right now.
0: Yeah, and I'm hearing that he might only miss one game, at the most two. So they need to get him back as soon as possible to to level that playing field a little bit if you want to look at it that way. And so that'll be a determining factor for sure in the, the outcome of this set because, uh, let's face it, nah, Saros is in the discussion, has been in the discussion for Vezina Trophy consideration, at least in the top five for sure if you're considering in the league and uh, a big equalizer. I, I think I'd give him the edge over Kemper if they were head-to-head for the entire series. But with his absence, it kind of levels it off a little bit. It takes away one of the Predators' perceived advantages. In terms of another possible advantage that might be in Nashville's favor, I'll talk about their defensive depth, AJ. And really, this is a team that has been predicated on defense for a long time in their club's history,
1: Paul, I'll, I'll keep us rolling here. Just, uh, you know, you were mentioning the predators defense here, Dante Fabro, um, you know, kind of being their they're kind of step up, man. I think he's yeah. done a good job filling in there. Um, but obviously Roman Yossi and the, the penalty, you know, the point production out of him Norris trophy seems like almost a sure, sure thing for him. Uh, 96 points is just a ridiculous mark. You know, the fact that we've had eight guys with, with that level of, uh, hitting the hundred point mark and you have a defenseman right there in the mix as well. And then Colorado, you know, for, nice. for their part, again, they, they have a similar makeup, you know, they've got one kind of main point producer in Kale McCarr who can really, um, you know, drive the offense there, but they are a bit of a D factory for for them as well. Um, I, I love Devin Taves, Sam Garard, all offensively minded, Bowen Byram as well. Um, If they get Ryan Murray back, that'll add
0: a little bit of a defensive upside to to that as well. Yeah, let me get jump back in, AJ. I'm back. I lost my communication for a little bit. uh, Roman Yossi is uh, uh, almost the equal of Kale McCarr. I think it's a coin flip between the two of them. In fact, I might favor Yossi in terms of the Norris Trophy. Uh, If you look at the whole season, I know McCarr had a fantastic first half, but I think uh, Yossi kind of passed him down the stretch, but I like the depth that, that uh, Nashville has back there. T.S. Atcom is a guy whose game has fallen off a little bit, but he's still a guy that merits uh, mention in terms of top two pairings on the blue line at, at, in Nashville. And I like the step up that Dante Fabro has taken in his career. So uh, you got to look at the heavyweights on the blue line though for these two teams and say, that's the guys that are going to carry the mail for them. Um and, of course, in in uh, Colorado, you have Devin Taves who had a fantastic second half and merits consideration among the top-scoring D-men. Don't forget about this guy, folks, because he had an exceptional year and uh, is, is maybe a 1B to, to Cam McCarr in terms of the importance on the back end there for sure. And Josh Manson, uh, another guy that can be mentioned in the top four. They've got four quality guys that should go in, in most of your drafts. Do you think uh, this team's going to go far? We switch to the forward ranks, AJ. That's when it gets interesting. Of course, for for Colorado, this this team in their first line they had injuries along the the first line most of the year, but all three guys are healthy, and that means you're going to be facing what I think is when they're healthy the the best line in hockey: Landeskog on the left side, McKinnon on the center, and in on the right side, they're going to be front and center on the special teams as well. And you can imagine the number of the percentage of offensive zone starts for these guys very high. So if there's an icing situation, expect them to come over the boards and, and take the offensive zone puck drops. But uh, an addition that bears watching here in terms of the depth of Colorado is the uh, arrival of Arturi Lekanen. He had a fantastic uh, debut in Colorado down the stretch and kind of did enough to get second-line minutes alongside Gaz and Kadri who I think is a bit of a wild card here, AJ. Uh, he's missed the most of the playoffs in the last three seasons, uh, two in Toronto and one in Colorado last year, with some suspension concerns. Uh, I I don't expect we'll see him suspended for a fourth consecutive player playoff. Can you imagine they pay off on odds on something like that? Maybe there's a, <laughs> a, a special prop in that regard. But uh, I'm counting on Nad, Nazem Khadri to play throughout the playoffs for Colorado, and he anchors that second line, which is also, got Andre Burakowski, who has had a fine offensive season as well. So, those are six guys that will go early in, in your pools. And uh, Lekkonen and Burakowski, particularly, could be some nice sleeper picks from my point of view. What say you about Nashville's offense?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, they don't have the, the headline names like you, you have on the other side of the ice. And now, Paul, you uh, re- recently sports betting allowed up there in Ontario. So, if you find that prop, of Nazem Kadri to get suspended. Please put uh, put a twenty down on for me. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the I'll send you the money. The check's in the mail. But uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll take home some some cash on that one. For Nashville, you know, it's pretty heavily one line, and and they've tried to shuffle it up recently. Like their production is from Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne, uh, and then obviously Roman Yoshi on the back end. But so they're they're trying different things to get more offense right now they've got Luke Kunin and Philip uh Tomasino playing with Johansson. Grandland is centering Duchesne and Forsberg. Um I would expect that to probably not hold on super long, but on the same token you need guys that can match up with Colorado. And I'm just not sure they have it. Um, and that's that's obviously my concern. And from you know from a a pool standpoint, like I would almost consider A JT Comfer in a third line role for Colorado over, um, you know, somebody at the top, even even like uh, Philip Forsberg, because JT Comfer is going to play a lot more games and have a lot more opportunities to score um, than I anticipate. I I don't think we'll see a lot of, of Nashville here. So.
0: I, I think it's important that you mention JT Comfort too, AJ, in terms of the power play makeup the, of the club. Avalanche will put him at center on the second unit with Lekkan and, and Burakowski. I mentioned the big line will be the first line with Kadri in the mix there. And Devin Tate and Samuel Girard they, they both show up on the second power play for Colorado in terms of the depth chart that we can expect there. Nashville, though, you got to give them a cre- little credit, AJ, in terms of the offense that they put forth this year. We talk about them because of their defensive prowess and the defenseman factory and all that sort of thing. But a couple of guys had a fantastic rebound season, uh, finally justifying their big salaries. We talked about them a lot in that regard. All season long, I'm talking about Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. They're going to be on the first power play, you know, with Michael- Mikhail Granlund, who a couple of years ago, or just over a year ago was almost deemed an expectable, expendable piece here. I'm pretty glad, pretty sure they're glad that they held on to him. And we've seen uh, their second line uh, on the power plays, uh, three youngsters who uh, two of them have taken a step forward in their development. Tanner Janot, of course, had an outstanding rookie season, a big bruising type on the left wing with a scoring touch. Ellie Tolanen uh, at center ice, a uh, bit of a breakout campaign for him. And Phil Tomasino, maybe third ranked, uh, maybe justifiably third ranked in terms of the depth on the forward ranks in that second unit. And on the back end, they're they're a little thin in terms of the power play point position, Alexander Carrier and Jeremy Davis are the two names listed there. So late round picks possibly, if you think that the predators could be uh, ready to shock the world in terms of the makeup of this series uh, outcome at the very least. AJ, uh, any more thoughts on the power play units? If not, I'm going to ask you, we are going to put together our, her prognostications here and they will be reviewed when we get back to the next episode of our show, which will be the second round preview. But what say you about this series? I think you're leaning heavily against, uh, against the Nashville Predators based on what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is an open and shut case. If if you look at the odds, uh, you know, over on uh, like the DraftKings sportsbook, it's like plus 650 for, uh, for Nashville to, or rather for, for, uh, care uh, Colorado to take this this series they're minus 650 to get the win like there's just it's so clear that it's going to be a one-sided matchup here so I'm going to take the abs in four I think it's a sweep and they'll they'll move on
0: to to the next round easily and uh, I'm going to say it's going to take a little bit longer for them to dispatch Nashville. I think there was something to the head-to-head matchups these, these teams had all regular season long. Nashville plays a very physical game, and uh, I, I think at times Colorado is more noted as a bit of a run-and-gun t- team. So if the Preds can find a way to slow them down with their physicality, I think they got a puncher's chance to steal a game or two. And that's why I think it's going to go a little bit longer. But I, I like you, can't see Nashville ultimately triumphing in this matchup. So I take Colorado in six games, AJ. Uh, what about a quick preview from you on what you expect? What style of play do you expect from the next series? I think it's going to be a rough one between Minnesota and St. Louis, partner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a much, <clears throat> excuse me, much more physical series. Um, and, and potentially low scoring. I, I don't know that we'll see a ton of goals out of this one. I mean, you look at the, the head-to-head matchups. The Blues actually took all three games, which is a, a little surprising when you consider how good Minnesota has been this year. Um, they outscored the Wild 16-12. to 12. So really, you know, it speaks to the fact that the, there weren't a ton of goals in those three matchups. Um, so I would expect similar to kind of carry forward the, the net mining, uh, particularly on the Minnesota side, we'll get into that. Has been really strong, so that'll be a factor as well.
0: AJ, in terms of the head-to-head matchup, you're right. The Blues won at three to nothing, but the goal-scoring difference between the two teams wasn't too wide—sixteen to twelve. That implies to me that there's going to be a little more offense than you might uh, have anticipated. I think it's going to be a high-scoring, physical series, and and uh, I, I think the goalies are going to be worn out by the end of this one. Whoever. It's, uh, uh, exits the series as the winner is going to be one tired netminder I think because there's going to be a lot of pucks thrown around at both ends of the ice the net power play stats uh, in terms of this matchup they favor the Blues by a wide margin their power play efficiency was much higher at 24.9 than Minnesota's at 18.6 and by the same token St. Louis's special teams on the and the PK was much more effective than than Minnesota to the tune of 88.2% versus 76.9% for Minnesota. So the special teams are a big factor in the postseason, folks. And that's why we, we mentioned these numbers. And I, I put a lot of validity in them uh, in terms of uh, potential outcome. So uh, look forward to seeing what AJ thinks about this series. But I think you, uh, I'll give away my lean here. I think the Blues have a bit of an advantage going forward. What about the goaltending situation, AJ? I know you're partial to what's happening in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I mean, for for the Wild, there was some discussion. It wasn't totally clear who might start uh, game one here, but that has been confirmed today. Mark andre Fleury is going to get the start for them. Cam Talbot has been really solid. Um, they made a, a really good tandem, but I think the writing was on the wall when we saw Fleury take four of the last five games. Uh, so anticipate he sees the bulk of a workload, but obviously if he stumbles at all, um, they do have Cam Talbot there waiting in the wings and, and kind of a similar situation on the other side in that Billy Huso is going to start uh, game one. Again, that's, that's been confirmed here today. Um, but Jordan Bennington is there uh, right on the edge. They've been splitting the workload. It was Huso in five of the blues last 11, um, but you know, not really great numbers from, from either guy down the stretch. So Binnington will obviously be a factor. And, you know, the other thing to point out is Billy Huso has 57 career NHL games. Marc-Andre Fleury has 162 career playoff games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so three times that in just playoff games. So the experience factor definitely favors Fleury. Um, I, I give the edge to Minnesota. But I do think it's a unique situation where both teams have somebody else that they can rely on if they feel like they need it. If if Huso stumbles, they have Bennington. Bennington's won the cup, um, so obviously he, he's certainly capable. And, and Cam Talbot has been fantastic
0: all year long. You know what, AJ, you just said a mouthful in, in your commentary there, and I'll pick up on that thread when I can look at these lineups and consider. Not many other teams can say they have faith, ultimate faith in either goalie that they can play. So I think we're going to see all four of them in this set. And uh, it's a luxury that these teams have, and it's a condensed schedule in the first round. So rest could be a factor, particularly as in Minnesota's case, both guys are on the other side of 30 in terms of their birth certificates. So they might like to take advantage of that if they get a bit of a lead in the series and, and uh, throw a, throw one to Cam Talbot to get Fleury a rest if he needs one. But – really a luxury that both teams have and they kind of almost cancel each other out. I know that you're favoring Minnesota's net mining situation, but I think there's a Stanley cup pedigree and Jordan Binnington that we're going to see at some point in this series too, that might uh, level things off if he, if and when he gets a chance to, to tend the twine. But I do think that they're justified in going with you. who has been the better of the two goalies in the regular season for this club, you made the case for flurry kind of outdueling, uh, Cam Talbot, uh, since they got together as a tandem. And, and uh, of course, uh, it's the playoff pedigree for the flower that, that gives him the nod in this particular matchup. In terms of the depth chart on the blue line, A.J., Minnesota is another one of those clubs that we call a defense factory, and uh, it's on merit because you look at they've got one of those situations. I mean, I always look at teams, too, uh, that I anticipate for a long, long playoff run. they got to have eight. Even nine players on the back end who have some experience with the with uh, within the NHL and certainly playoff experience, and and uh, looking at the list of names on Minnesota's roster, they they meet the meet that criteria. Uh, the top four: Jonas Brodin has had a bit, a bit of an uptick in his his offensive numbers this season. Matt Dumba is a signature player, probably alongside with uh, along with Jared Spurgeon. They split the two of them up on the back end. They picked up Jacob Middleton at the trade deadline from San Jose. I think it was a very smart pickup, a rugged guy, a uh, big guy who get, uh, plays the game uh, tough. And I know uh, St. Louis is going to bring the, the physical heat. So this is a guy that's going to try and offset that in part, along with some of the other guys in the back end, John Merrill, Merrill Dmitry Kulikov, also no strangers to the physical game. So I love the makeup of the Minnesota back end counterparts to them on the St. Louis side, another team that's got a ton of defensive depth, AJ. And maybe you can walk us through what you see there in terms of the St. Louis depth chart on the blue line.
1: Yeah, they have kind of a a three pack of guys that I think can contribute offensively. Torrey Krug obviously is kind of the focal point there. Uh, 43 points this year, nine goals, uh, really solid production out of him and especially of late, he's, he's had some injury concerns here, missed some time towards the back half of the season in April here, but when available eight points in seven games for him. Now I, I slammed the Nick Letty move um, pretty handily and I, I still feel okay about that. Um, His numbers were up when, uh, when Krug was out of the lineup, but with Krug healthy, he's got just one point in his last uh, last nine games. So, I, I do think uh he needs to step up if, if they're gonna try and equal um what they have on the other side of the ice. And then obviously Justin Falk as well, another player who's capable of producing 47 points this year, another really solid season for him. Uh and and I think overall for me, I give the edge to Minnesota here, um, but it's it's not too heavy. Um, I, it's a slight edge to me. I don't know, Paul, if you if you think it's a little more skewed to one side or the other, but for me, um, just a slight favoring of of Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to call it even, AJ. There's just so much depth on both sides, and and the St. Louis team they do have that Stanley Cup pedigree. They they have a uh, resurgent, Justin Falk, that has been a key to to uh, maybe leveling things off. Tori Krug. A bit of a disappointment for me in his time in St. Louis compared to what he was in Boston, but still a very credible force, and you can't knock what he's done in his playoff past. So I think uh, we talk very glowingly about Minnesota all season long from the defense point of view, but St. Louis is no slouch in that category. And uh, I think Colin Pareko is the guy that's going to have a big series for them here. What about the offense, AJ? Break break down one or both of the teams, and I'll follow up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll start – um, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, take a look at Minnesota here first, uh, they're, you know, dealing with a little bit of injury injury for Matt Zuccarella uh, was held out the last four games. So that's obviously a concern for them. It does sound like he's trending in the right direction. And obviously if he's cleared to go, that makes him the, the first line option alongside Kirill Kaprasoff and Ryan Hartman and a really solid group there. Additionally, Marcus Foligno is also dealing with an injury. Now, it sounds like he's going to try and play through it based on his comments just the other day. Um, But he'll pair up with, uh, I think, Fiala and Gaudreau. Lines could be a little shuffled up here as as we get into the postseason. We haven't really seen anything from them, so make sure to check back on rotowire.com for those combos. But right now, we've got Gaudreau with Foligno and Fiala. And I like the third line, too. Greenway, Joel Erickson-Eck. And then some combination usually of like a, a Tyson Yost or a Connor Duar, some, some uh, shuffling around of, of that. But the greenway Erickson eck combo is really good in my opinion. And on the other side for the Blues, I've, I find that they're a little bit deeper if, if I have to be totally honest. Um, Brandon Saad, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron is the first group. Vladimir Tarasenko, Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich. I think those are really evenly matched. Where I give the edge to the Blues here is that third line, Barbashev, Shen and kairu I just think they've got a little more polish. Shen obviously has had a a nice career. Uh for, you know, for his part, he hit 58 points this year again, 24 goals, really productive in that third line role. So I, I favor St. Louis, I think in, in the forward groups just a little bit here um, because of, of that added third line depth.
0: I agree with you and I'll spend a little more time talking about the blues depth up front. Uh, A couple of game breakers on the right wing side, David Perron who excels at this time of year uh, is a go-to guy for me early in, in playoff drafts this year. And Vladimir Tarasenko might be the cream of the crop, that St. Louis offers. He was on a real tear as the season wound down and formed an excellent partnership with Rob Thomas who, who kind of made his breakthrough in the NHL with a, with the Stanley Cup run that the Blues enjoyed a couple of seasons ago. So here he is in under the bright lights again. I think he has a chance to do it one more time. And he's another guy that came on in a late season rush and I'm glad to see that Ryan O'Reilly is a partner with Perron. They've been electric as a combo for a couple of years ago. And that gives them the latitude to pair up Braden Chen with a guy like Jordan Cairo and Ivan Barbashev on that third line. That might be one of the best third, well, it is one of the best third lines in hockey. Who's getting who? And it could be a real difference maker throughout these playoffs. If the Blues are going to go on an extended run, they're going to get, need to get production from all nine of these forwards. And this might be one team where I buck the trend and look beyond the top six players in the forward ranks on any one club in terms of the power play situation here, AJ, the blues, of course, they have a lot of ways that they can go in terms of the way they set up their power play. The first unit is going to feature Vlad Tarasenko and Justin Falk on the point. Falk with a booming shot is a, is a feature there. Cairo Thomas and Vuknevich on the top line, Saad O'Reilly and Braden Shen on that second unit with Perron on the back end and Tori Krug, uh, power play quarterback on the second line. He's one of the better power play quarterbacks in the league when he's on his game, a real luxury that the Blues really don't lose anything, whichever way they choose to go. Uh, How do you look at the Minnesota power play, AJ? Break that uh, pair of units down for us, please.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for Minnesota, uh, obviously if Zuccarello is back, he's on that number one group along with Kaprasov, Hartman, and Erickson Eck, um, Fiala as well. Uh, mixed in there so I think you know having Zuccarella is is a huge difference maker there um, the ability to have Jared Spurgeon or sometimes Matt Dumba they they can kind of rotate those two out from that first unit um, I I think they have a good depth second group too with Greenway Goudreau,
0: um, Brodine as, as a factor there as well. AJ, I'm going to go ahead and make my prediction on this series, and I wonder if you're in sync or if we have a disagreement, but I'm taking the St. Louis Blues here. I've talked about them on our podcast for about the last six weeks, saying keep an eye on this team, folks. They're getting things in order, and uh, they finished up the season as one of the hottest teams in the league to the point where my call was was almost forgotten in some quarters, and, and other people said, oh, you can't really call the Blues a dark horse. Well, I did six weeks ago when they really weren't this close to some of the higher-ups in the final standings of the NHL. They finished with such a rust, they closed that gap significantly, that they aren't really a long shot when I, when I, I consider it now. This is, it can be considered a bit of a coin flip series in many quarters. I think it's going to be a lengthy one, and I'm going to lean on the Blues experience and de- uh, depth uh, that we highlighted, particularly on the forward ranks, and the fact that I don't see a huge disparity in that. I'm giving the Blues the nod in six games in this out- outcome. What say you?
1: I'm going to look at Minnesota in, in five. I think they can win their games at home, uh, split the series uh, in, in St. Louis, and then clean it up in that, that third home game. So five for, for the Wild for me. I, I give them a bigger edge than you do in terms of net mining, um, and, and I do think they have the, the star power to kind of, uh, like I said, it's a slight edge among the forward group for St. Louis, and, and I think Minnesota has the depth on the blue line to kind of overcome that and the edge the in goaltending as well.
0: Okay, AJ, we're looking next at the Calgary series against Dallas. The uh, Calgary Flames, one of the best teams in the league all season long, and in many quarters, this might be the, one of the bigger disparities in terms of potential outcome, I'll say, and uh, I think we we'll both probably wind up on the Calgary camp, if I may take a, that leap of faith right off the top. But uh, let's get into the matchups and why I, I – Leaked that information up front. Calgary finished first in the Pacific Division. Dallas, of course, finished at the top wild card seed. In terms of the head-to-head matchups, it was the Flames winning two and then losing one in overtime. They outscored Dallas by a, a cumulative of eleven to nine in that overall set. And the special teams, they favor the Flames as well uh, on both on the power play and in the shorthanded situation. The Flames twenty-one point six stars, twenty point three in net power play efficiency. The, the PK was a bit more of a disparity. Flames at 86%, one of the best marks in the entire league all season long, and Dallas at 82.2. Uh, the number of teams that, that have better than 80% uh, PK in the playoffs, it was a bit surprising, AJ, uh, when, when I look back in the history of the league. It used to be a real high water mark to, to be over 80% of the net figures, but a lot of teams made it over that, and it's on the strength of some effective and more aggressive penalty killing that we've seen, and uh, that could be a factor in the postseason. Uh, don't discount the fact that teams can score when they're short-handed, folks, so beware of who's out there in those extra opportunities. AJ, the goaltending situation here, uh, I think there's a fairly large disparity between the two signature guys that are going to represent the club's Uh, Why don't you take a look
1: at that for us and uh, you break it down. Well, for Calgary, it starts with Jacob Markstrom, uh, led the league in uh, shutouts this season with nine, uh, was way up there in terms of the the games played. Total had 63, one of just a handful of guys to play more than 60 games, 37 wins, which was a career high for him. The goals against average 2.22. That's a career low. Uh, So really, uh, all signs point to to Markstrom uh, heavily favored in this one, and and that's not to take anything away from Jake Ottinger. I, I think he's capable of stepping into a larger role, but he just doesn't have a ton of experience. Thirty wins this season is a is a great number. Two point five three goals against average, like it's it's all very good for Jake Ottinger. I just think Markstrom playing uh, superbly this season, and, and that's the difference maker between the two.
0: Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with you, but I'm, I've got a little bit of a concern with the way Markstrom finished up his regular season. He was pulled in a couple of games late in the year, and I just wonder if it was a, a case of too much hockey for him. And uh, Dave Riddick, uh, I mean, his backup goalie uh, in Calgary was Dan Validar, rather, rather, and he didn't play as much as I think he could have down the stretch to spell – Markstrom, So I have a slight, slight concern about uh, the work workload that Markstrom absorbed this season right down the stretch. But uh, they backed off in the last week or so, uh, and uh, that was probably a very good thing, very smart thing for them to do. But because he's another guy that enters into that Vezina Trophy discussion uh, on the season. In terms of the blue lines, AJ, Calgary is another one of those teams. They have seven guys that uh, are playoff-hardened types in terms of the history that they have in this league. Noah Hannafin is a guy who I want to highlight off the top. I mean, Rasmus Anderson is a guy I spoke about at length all year long, has emerged as a power, power play quarterback there on the first unit, and Oliver Shillington has played a lot of offensive situations. But Noah Hannafin is a guy who really stepped up his game in the second half, AJ. And I'm reminding people that it wasn't so long ago that he was – uh, in, high up in the first round of an NHL draft that featured the likes of Mitch Marner and and Connor McDavid and company. But Hannafin was in that mix too as the top defenseman in that draft year. And uh, boy, oh boy, he's starting to play like it now. And that's that gives this team three signature offensive pieces on the back end that can carry the mail and should be among – the, the first defenseman drafted in, in your NHL drafts, but I know Anderson probably the first one here, and Shillington will get consideration, but don't sleep on Noah Hannafin, is what I'm saying. Uh, in terms of Guys that can uh, will round out that that group. Tanev, Chris Tanev, is a smooth skating guy, not very physical, maybe the least physical of all six of the top defensemen the Calgary will bring to the table. But uh, he's another guy that that plays a standout game in both ends of the ice. So that's where his role is. And uh, Nikita Sidorov and Eric Branson they're going to be the the baggage smashers, the big guys that will make it a minefield in front of Markstrom. I think for anybody that ventures in there. And they have Michael Stone in reserve on the Calgary side. Uh, so a pretty stoked-looking uh, blue line there. How does the Dallas Stars defense look to you, A.J., in terms of comparison?
1: Well, I think the Stars have a little bit more, uh, like, name recognition. Now, you mentioned, you know, that, that Hannafin and, uh, you know, had some, some decent production this year and, and Shillington and, and Rasmus Anderson, and that's totally true. Um, but I think Dallas just has, you know, they have a guy in Klingberg, and then Miro Heiskinen, obviously Ryan Sutter playing over there for his first year. Uh, so, again, a little bit more name recognition at the top of their lineup. A little less name recognition, I would say, at the bottom with with guys like Thomas Harley and, and Joel Hanley. But, um, again, because they have guys like Klingberg and Heiskinen and Sutter who can play big power play opportunities, uh, have you know the ability to run those power plays, um, I, I think I give the edge to, to Dallas because of those kind of top guys, uh, Klingberg especially. But when you have, you know, Heiskinen's like a 1B, really. I wouldn't even call him like your second, you know, kind of best defenseman here. I, I think he's a 1B. And then to have, have Sitter coming in, I, I just think they're unmatched uh, compared to Calgary.
0: Um, the forward ranks, AJ, I wonder how you're going to feel about this. But I think that Calgary is another one of those teams that is top heavy. And they've got real top, top high-end quality among their top six forwards. The addition of Tyler Toffoli certainly solidified uh, the second line. Michael Backlund anchoring that unit at center, and Andrew Mangipani on the left side had an outstanding year, career year. But when you talk about the Calgary offense, one of the top lines in hockey will lead the parade here. Elias Lindholm centering, Matt Matthew Tachuk, and. And Johnny Gaudreau, you can make the case that Tuchuk and Gaudreau should be first-round draft picks in most hockey pools out there. But don't sleep on Elias Lindholm. Don't let him hang around too long because he's a guy that drives that line with his playing ability. And all three of them factor in on the power play too, obviously. So uh, Elias Lindholm shouldn't be too far behind in terms of your thinking in, in uh, the Calgary situation. On the Dallas side of things, uh, they got – uh, Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson, and Joe Pavelski, a uh, forward unit that you wouldn't think on paper would rank with too many of the top lines in hockey, but they each of them had outstanding seasons. Hints continuing his development, and he's now the top center on this team on merit. He's, he kind of lapped Tyler Sagan. Uh, I wouldn't have expected that because of the pedigree that Sagan has, but Hintz had a much more productive year. Pavelski seems to have found the – the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and just continues to chug along and deliver the goods. And Robertson, uh, another young guy alongside Hance, uh, take a took a major step in his development to be an outstanding sniper on the left side. So it's not a uh, forward line to be ignored and one that, that uh, afforded, well, Dallas by necessity had to put these guys in the first line role because I think um, – Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan both took a bit of a step backwards here, A.J., to be quite blunt in terms of the anticipation that I had for them to, to be at the forefront of this offense. It's a big discrepancy between the first two lines here. They round out their unit with Denis Gurianov, who who uh, probably could be interchangeable with uh, Robertson uh, at the beginning of the season, but uh, the fact that Robertson made good on a first-line opportunity that kind of separated the two. Gurianov is part of the next wave of offensive talent young offensive talent here in Dallas. But uh, I think the two guys that he's playing with, they need to pull up their boots and play, bootstraps in the playoffs and, and really lead this this unit and uh, maybe close ranks against Calgary. Uh, the rest of the Calgary offense, AJ, how do you view it in terms of the second, third line? Do you think they got enough on the third line to count on for some regular scoring, consistent support scoring, for instance?
1: I do, and and I'll I'll start by saying you know I, I think the first line for Calgary is pretty heavily uh you know ahead of the first line for Dallas, and yeah. and for me, um, it's those two guys with hundred point campaigns. And you mentioned Lindholm, like forty two goals out of Elias Lindholm that that's tied with Tuchuk for for the team lead. Um, but you want to talk about that depth? Andrew Manjapani, thirty five goals, uh, certainly no slouch uh, for his part. And Sagan and Ben, as you said, have really struggled to produce. I mean, there have been times where Alexander Radulov, who's in a third line role right now with uh, Nemesnikov and, and Michael Raffel, has been scratched. You know, it, what was it, two, three years ago? Like Radulov was supposed to be on the first line with Ben and Sagan, this this big, uh, you know, big line that they were going to have to produce all these points. It hasn't really happened, and so. I do favor the depth. You've got Blake Coleman in a third line for Calgary as well. This is a guy that's won back-to-back Cups. You can argue whether or not he was overpaid in the offseason. I, I think that's fair. But at the end of the day, when you're in the playoffs, having a guy like Coleman, uh, who, who's done it two years in a row, available in a third-line role is, uh, I think, uh, invaluable.
0: AJ, when we talk about the power play units, we highlighted the fact already that Calgary's first line, well represented on that top unit. They got Gaudreau playing one of the point positions alongside Noah Hannafin. That's a key development there. They got Hannafin on the first line of the power play. They had Rasmus Anderson there for much of the season. But as I said, Hannafin's come on with a bit of a rush, so don't forget about prioritizing him because of his power play role on the first unit. Manjupani makes the leap up to the first line as well in, in the power play. So that gives him a bump in value in terms of the rest of the second liners in Calgary. But uh, that second line is well represented on the second unit with Tyler Toffoli, Michael Backlund there. Callie Arncroft moves up from a third line role and fills a right wing spot. So, again, if you're head draft heavy on a Calgary team that you think is going to go far, Callie Arncroft might be the seventh forward that you draft, maybe flipping – a coin between him and Dylan Dubé, who is going to be the point man on the second unit alongside Rasmus Anderson from the Calgary from the Dallas point of view rather of course uh, you expect the first liners to play a prominent role and they do Jason Robertson is there with Joe Pavelski but they they kind of mix things up uh, here in in uh, Dallas by putting Jason Robertson on the blue line here, J- John Klingberg. They have added Alexander rattleoff. We've maligned him much of the season, but there he is. He's probably going to be the net front presence there for Dallas, and that's where his value is in the middle of, of things, getting his nose dirty. And so if he capitalizes, it would be a nice value play uh, if you think that Dallas is going to score some goals in this set on the special teams. Their second unit is a drop-off only because of the the level of play that Ben Ben and Sagan offer this club much of the season. Gurianoff there, the the entire second line up front, and then they go with a pair of defensemen you highlighted, Suter and Heiskanen on the back end. Uh, I wonder if they'll flip Heiskanen and Klingberg on the power play. That's something to watch for as the series progresses, but right now, Link Klingberg is a power play guy in the top unit part.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, they they're trying to have almost like a 1A and a 1B here. And and I I think they're not successful either way. Um, you know, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, depending on who they match up with to maybe see them go with Heiskinen and, and Klingberg on, on the number one unit and, and maybe shuffle things up that way. So they, they have options. Um, but in, in some ways, I think maybe they have too many options. Um, So, Paul, I'll take us in first on on this one. Uh, I'm going to go with the Flames in five. I think that top line is just too good. The goaltending, just too good. Dallas uh, is not going to last long. I was honestly tempted to maybe consider this in four, um, but I'll go with five, imagining Dallas can win one of those first two games at home.
0: Yeah, you were kinder to the the, the Dallas Stars in this matchup in terms of breaking things down at position by position. I think that uh, the check marks all go in the Calgary column here in on defense and at forward, and I'll give them an edge on the power play. So I I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be a long series. I'll throw the Dallas Stars fans a bone and say they'll win one game. The Calgary's wrapping this up at home in five games. It'll be quick, and it'll be lopsided. I think we both agree on that one. The final series we look at on the western side features – uh, Edmonton and Los Angeles uh, kind of a interesting matchup for me when you consider that uh, we've talked about the, the Dallas the uh, LA Kings rather one two punch at center they've got two of the best two-way centers including a guy who's had a career year in Philip Deneau uh in terms of goal scoring uh, but uh boy oh boy they, they've got a tough assignment against McDavid and Sidle, who drive that team and that offense so uh why don't you tell? Get us ready for the breakdown by looking at the head-to-head record and the special teams numbers that you see here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So with the uh, the head-to-head, uh, not terribly unsurprising, the outcome in the Oilers going three and one uh, in the in the series here. But I do think what is a little bit telling is the goal differential with um, you know Edmonton only scoring one more goal in those four contests, thirteen to twelve, which says to me that these games were a little bit closer. Then maybe we imagine the special teams. Uh, I think there are going to be some problems here for the Kings. You look at net power play Oilers 23.4 Kings, just 12.5. So not taking advantage of, of those power play opportunities. Um, on the kill side, you've got Oilers 83.7 to the Kings 81.5. So even that is a bit of a gap, not, not huge, but it's definitely there. Um, But the fact of the matter is this Oilers power play is so very good right now, given the talent that they can load up on there. And that is a a big, big difference there. You're talking about almost half of the net power play numbers
0: um, for the Kings compared to the Oilers. Absolutely, AJ. And uh, in terms of the goaltending matchup, this is intriguing. Okay. I, I was quick to give all the check marks to one team in the last series. And I think we're right on in that one. But uh, when you look at the goaltendings in in the Edmonton-LA matchup, there are some questions on the Edmonton side. Certainly Mike Smith picked up his game and even Nico And I think it was a, more of a defensive commitment overall by the club in the last couple of weeks of the schedule that kind of made them both look better than they did for much of the regular season. But there's a guy at the other end of the ice in Jonathan Quick who uh, is looking at this series saying he could be a difference maker and, and maybe give LA, LA fans some hope in this series. I think he'll definitely be the starter over Cal Peterson, but this could be a series, another series where we see all four goalies participate, AJ. Uh, I don't know whether you agree or disagree, but I think Mike Smith is going to get the starting role for Edmonton in that set against Quick. And I wonder how you see the goaltending matchup and give a slight edge to Los Angeles just based on Jonathan Quick.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, I'm no huge Mike Smith uh, proponent. I've maligned him on this show, but he he comes in on a nine game winning streak has played really well this year. Overall. Um, Smith is likely to get the start tonight. I have not seen anything about who's going to go for LA in game one, but based on recent performance, I I have to imagine it's going to be quick. Um, You're talking about more experience over Cal Petterson. So I, I put it at pretty even uh, for, for me. I, I don't know that I could really hand an edge to either one. Again, Mike Smith playing really well now, but has had some historic blips in there. And, and really Jonathan Quick as well has historically been a very good goalie. The last couple of years, there's there's been some problems there as, as well. So I'll run us through the D right away, Paul. Give you Give your voice a little bit of a break here, starting with the LA Kings. You know, the biggest... Uh, obviously problem, you know, you know, no Drew Doughty um, done for the season. That's a huge loss for them. He makes up the, the majority of their offense when, which is insane uh, from the blue line, I should clarify. You look at their scoring for the year and uh, you know, he's pretty high up there in terms of their defensive scoring for a guy that hasn't played a ton of games this year. So they, uh, you know, top actually seven goals 24 assists in 39 games played that puts them ahead of Sean DeRuzzi and Matt Roy both of whom played closer to 60 games so there's not a lot of ton of offense that's going to come out of that that blue line um, without Doughty in the in the lineup you know I've talked about the fact that Olimata is not exactly fleet of foot so that's a concern in the bottom pairing they've got a number of young guys who could get opportunities who could turn in to great, uh, you know, great uh, defensemen. But right now I think it's a little early. I'm talking about guys like Jordan Spence, Austin Strand, Thomas Bjornfoot, um, Jacob Mugler. I think all of them could be factors in the future. But right now I think it's too soon. Mikey Anderson is just back from injured reserve. He missed uh, most of March and April, two games back. So probably some rust to shake off there. So I'm not in love with this Kings uh you know, King's defense here on the Edmonton side, technically Darnell Nurse is listed as they labeled him a game time decision tonight. I think that's just postseason, you know, shenanigans by the coaching staff here. I, <laughs> Darnell Nurse is going to play tonight. I'll be, I'll be shocked if he doesn't. If you find that prop, Paul, if Darnell Nurse is going to play tonight, uh, just uh, just put a thousand on it for okay. me. Hey. Like, dude's going to play. Um, you know, they've got Cody CC, D- Duncan Keith. Um, it's, it's not a high power, you know, group uh, compared to some of the other teams that, that we've talked about already. Um, Evan Bouchard really stepped in, had a fantastic season, 12 goals, 31 assists. Tyson Berry with 41 points as well. So they have guys that can score even if their names aren't
0: necessarily at the top of, you know, defensive scoring meeting boards. You know what AJ will begin with I'll begin my comments with Edmonton on the back end I think you can take a flyer on a guy like a Tyson Berry uh, later than than some of the other big scoring defensemen this guy uh, found his way into the doghouse a little bit and gave up some power play time to Darnell Nurse who will be the feature guy at that assuming he's healthy, and I agree with you, he'll probably play tonight. But Barry is a guy that will see some duty on the power play time. So will Evan Bouchard, and Barry's the guy with the big shot, though, that I think could could produce points and a bit of a surprise late value pick in, if you're looking at the depth on the blue line for the Edmonton Oilers. The LA Kings, you mentioned, be they'll be wanting in the playoffs, certainly missing. Uh, drew Doughty, but also matt roy is listed as day-to-day so that's two hits on the back end if, if roy is not ready to go and puts a lot of pressure on a guy like alexander edler who has in the past been one of the better uh, power play quarterbacks earlier in his career he's gonna have to dial it back and find that level of play to uh to make picking him a desirable consideration if you're looking even if you're looking at la one and done and they find lightning in a bottle to to juice their power play, which has been very poor as we highlighted. But I have no faith in that. I'd rather take a look at one of the three guys that, that we talked about on the Edmonton side. In terms of the offenses that the, these teams bring to the table, of course, uh, for Edmonton, it kind of begins with McDavid and Drysidle. And you wonder if you can find some value on their wings. So it's worth noting that to start with, McDavid is going to be centering Evander Kane on the left side and Jesse Pugliardi on the right side. Now, Kane is in a proven situation he's playing for his next contract folks and he's got a tremendous opportunity with Connor McDavid as his center to to put some numbers down when everybody's watching and so I expect he should be a, a fairly highly regarded player when you're ranking your top wingers that are available in your drafts. Poo not a guy to sleep on either. He's played top six minutes all year long and taken a step in his development that's been a very positive one going forward. Zach Hyman signed the big contract at the beginning of the year, started like a house on fire, AJ, but cooled off considerably over the second half of the season. He'll be working with Leon Dreisaitl and be a net front presence on their power play. So a consideration there for him. Kallie Yamamoto fills out the top six, but he too hasn't taken the next step that I thought he could. And so I don't have as much faith in the way he fills out that unit. And I could see them going to either Derek Ryan or Zach Cassian to fill out that group. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a guy we're going third, three deep on the center position only because this guy has been such an impactful player in their recent successes and particularly useful on the power play. So it's worth mentioning his name as well. That's the way I see the Edmonton side. AJ, your comments on this group and what, how you break down that LA team, how they build around their top two centers that I talked about
1: yeah, I mean, we've we've talked before about how Evander Kane, really good pickup for them, has been solid. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, it, it really the the impact of the Kane move allows Nugent Hopkins to play that third line center role and give them some more depth because before they signed Kane, we were seeing you know Nugent Hopkins playing on the wing because they didn't really have other options there. So uh, I, that that addition, I think, can't be overstated. In, in how important it was for them on the King side. Um, you know, there's some questions about, uh, you know, Philip Deneau, I think should be fine. I wouldn't be worried about that. Victor Arvidsson uh, could be, I think is, it sounds like a little bit more questionable, but again, I, I would expect him hopefully to play. Um, but this, this isn't a team that instills a lot of confidence when you look at these forward combinations. Um, they're not very deep. They're pretty young in the bottom six here. Um, you know, they, they do still have veterans and, and Dustin Brown, who announced he's going to retire when the season's over. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be that much longer for him. Um, Anze Kopitar able to produce as well. Um, but I, I just, the makeup of this group, when you try and compare it and match it up to Edmonton, is just significantly weaker. in in my opinion, they, they don't have the third line depth. Um, they obviously don't have the center depth that, you know, that Edmonton does really nobody has that kind of ridiculous depth there. So um, I, I have to give a, a pretty sizable edge to the
0: Oilers in terms of the forward group. And AJ, I mentioned that uh, looking at the special teams for Edmonton, you can count on Darnell Nurse to being the linchpin on the power plate on the first unit, because there is some doubt in, in his ability to start tonight. We actually at wire have Tyson Berry listed as the power plate quarterback there. So that's why I'm, I'm and uh, that comment, it's worth keeping an eye on how they use him in this series because if he starts and Darnell Nurse doesn't, he's going to get those power play minutes, and that's going to mean a bump in his value. And uh, No surprises among the rest of the guys on that first unit. Second unit, Kane figures in over there. I think you will you might see him flip-flop to the top unit, though, if, uh, if need be. But uh, Zach Hyman is in that front presence on the first line. Kane maybe on the second unit. Ryan McLeod moves up in class and gets a second line center role. He's a depth forward on this club, but on the special team, gets a bit of a look. Duncan Keith is another guy worth mentioning in terms of defensemen who will pile up some points, given an opportunity on the special teams here. And uh, alongside Evan Bouchard, they go with a two-defense look over there. On the L.A. side, we talked about how they floundered all season long with the power play, but we're going to go give you the names of the guys that appear on that unit. Sean Dersey is a guy that you mentioned, A.J., a former Leaf farmhand, has kind of found his home here in L.A. and had a very nice second half. Since he got promoted to the big club, and I think he's driven this this unit to a little bit more success than they started out with. So we're not going to completely pan this this back end, uh, the back end of the power play. And uh, Dursey figures to be the point man. Dustin Brown, you mentioned uh, in his swan song playoff performance, gets to play on that top unit. Adrian Kempe we haven't talked about him and Alex. I follow too much, but they're two guys, uh younger guys on the wings who have made their way through the ranks and and. Uh, enough to participate in top six minutes and top line minutes on the power play alongside Kopitar. Athanasiou is a guy uh, wait, I was hoping for more out of him this season. AJ didn't really deliver the goods, and that's why he's showing up only in the second power play. They certainly got, think they got something in Quinton Byfield. He'll be featured as center on the second unit, and Gabe Villardi bounces it out. Jordan Spence and Arthur have are two guys you mentioned on the back end they'll get the second line roll. I have only got only a few teams that have gone with that two defenseman look on the second unit AJ. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that so many of them are out there at the tail end of a power play and teams don't want to be exposed when the other guy when the other team gets back at full strength. They want to be ready to defend and that's why we're seeing that two defenseman look. I do think. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It, it uh you know, there uh the other thing is, you know, you might it, depending on if you're if you're playing away, the the top penalty killers might be, uh, or some of your shorthanded kind of specialists might be paired up against that second group to try and capitalize on those matchups. Cool. So you want a more defensively solid group there cool. as well.
0: Um, what's your call in the series, AJ?
1: Uh, for this one, I was gonna go a little bit longer, but I've I've talked myself into a short one here. I'm going to go Oilers in five. I just think they're, they're outclassing them right now. Um, and, and Mike Smith has just been playing really well lately. And I I think that'll carry forward. So Edmonton in five is, is my call.
0: Yeah, I think the Oilers, for some reason, they've had a lot of trouble with LA over the years and that's during, uh, David's entire career, I'll say. And, uh, even before that in the history of the franchises, the LA Kings have been a bit of a thorn in the side of the Oilers historically. And I think that's going to show up at times in this series. I'm really counting on the defensive pressure that LA can, can exert. And uh, if, if they can fi- find a way to limit uh, McDavid and, and dry for a couple of games, I think they win those games, but I don't think they have a chance to win enough to take this series. I'm taking Oilers in six AJ. So, That completes our look in the Western Conference side of things. Uh, For those of you who are watching live, we're going to take a bit of a pause here because uh, eventually some commercials will be showing up in the recorded version that will be available online. So we have to take a break right now. We'll be back with our look at the Eastern Conference matchups and our DFS plays ahead of tonight's schedule on RotorWire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back to you after these messages. All right, we are back and ready to take on the second half of our show. Before we do that though, we always give a reminder to our listenership about how to get in touch with us during the upcoming week and during the playoffs, I'm sure you're going to have more questions than uh, than uh, you've had maybe in the regular season. The serious shooting starts now and everybody wants to know what's going on. We're ready with our best answers anytime you reach out to us. AJ, how do they find us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for Paul and I individually, you can find us on Twitter at AJ Scholes 24 for Paul at statsman 22. We've got those handles up on the screen. If you're able to watch this as well, if you're trying to figure out where to find this, the Rotowire Facebook page is where we are live right now. In addition to the Rotowire Twitter, which you can find at Rotowire NHL, all one word there. Um, So a couple of different ways to interact um, if you're looking for the r- latest news, that at RotoWire NHL Twitter account tweets, uh, tweets out all the latest news as we get it into, you know, roadwire.com. So, a great follow from that standpoint as well. Um, but obviously, we want you here talking to us on, on Twitter. Uh, so, again, you can find me at Asia Scholes24. You can find Paul the stats man, at Statsman22.
0: All right, let's roll into the Eastern Conference, A.J., and uh, the first matchup features the top team in the entire NHL. Florida did win the President's Trophy, almost going away down the stretch, and they did it on the heels of a a high-octane offense, the most prolific offense in the entire NHL. And on the flip side, you have a Washington team that features – Eventually, a guy who's going to be the NHL's all time leading goal scorer. So it's all about the goal scoring for me in this series uh, off the top. And uh, before we go any further, AJ, I want you to break down the head to head matchup on the season and touch on the special teams. But after that, I'd, I'd like to give you a chance to give us an update on the condition of uh, Alexander Ovechkin, who missed a few games down the stretch.
1: Yeah, starting with the head to head matchup here, the Panthers 2 to 1 again similar to the last series we talked about Florida only outscored the Caps 13 to 12. So a little surprising again that, that that was so close. Um I you know, especially when you consider that the Panthers won the President's Trophy, the Caps get in as the second wild card in the East, you'd expect a little bit of a wider gap uh, in in those outcomes. So Uh, Obviously Washington able to keep it close there in terms of special teams, pretty heavy edge again to the Panthers in terms of that power play. 21.4 is the net power play for Florida, just 15.2 for Washington. So some struggles there for the Capitals uh, in terms of net power play, the net penalty kill. Pretty much exactly the same, slight difference. Panthers 84.2 caps, just an even 84. So uh, much like the last matchup, the difference is going to come down to that power play and and how the Panthers can camp- capitalize there. In terms of Ovi, uh, you know, all signs indicate he practiced today in his usual spot, both on the power play and uh, you know in line combinations. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see him play. And be shocked if he didn't, but I don't think he's fully, uh, you know, 100 percent here. So I think we have a guy that's going to play through an injury, try and power through. That's obviously not a recipe for success long term um, and, and really raises some questions for an already, you know, maybe weaker group, uh, forward group when you compare these two.
0: And A.J., before some Florida fans really get upset at us and say, we have a signature guy that's out of our lineup, too, and he's been missing for a lot longer than Ovi, and that's Aaron Eckblad. He is uh, the key to this team's blue line, the leader, one of the leaders of this team. In fact, they've been without him for a sizable chunk of the last part of the season, but it didn't slow them down in terms of their end goal, yet he, too, is a guy that practiced over the weekend and looks to be ready to to get in the lineup uh, maybe even as soon as as the first game of this series. So the star players will be on hand for both clubs and uh, not too many injury concerns. When we look at the depth of of these teams, we will go through them in detail, beginning with the goaltending matchup. AJ, it's looking like Sergei Bobrovsky will get the start, obviously for Florida. Uh, Spencer Knight backing him up. Spencer Knight didn't have the season, many forecasts. A lot of people thought he'd be a rookie of the year. Candidate, but uh, he struggled early on, had a better finish to the season. But Sergei Bobrovsky put up some very impressive offense and uh, winning percentage numbers, rather, and uh, and lost only a handful of games. But that's also near, disguised by the fact that he lost. He didn't get credit for a couple of games where he should have been the loser. They rescued him because this is a team that can score with the best, and they had more comeback wins from three and four deficits that I've seen one team do in a season. That's a credit to the depth of their offense here. And on the flip side, we have the Washington team that's going to have two goalies to choose from there. And I wonder which way they're going to go. What What do you see is the goalie story that you're looking for from the Washington side of things?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the big question is who's going to start. Um, the Peter Laviolette didn't answer that question today. He said he would mention it tomorrow. I mean, you can look the the season-long numbers. Games played, uh, 44 for Samsonov, 42 for Vanisek, 23 wins for Samsonov, but a save percentage under nine. So Vanasek's save percentage is a little bit better at 9.08. Goals against average a little bit better, wins a little bit worse at just mm-hmm. 20. So these are two guys that are pretty much, you know, about on par um, with each other. I look at the recent run. You've got Vanasek taking three of the last five, but one of those, he gave up five goals. So maybe that tips the hand to Samson off a little bit, you know, for his part though, he's given up three or more goals in three straight outings. So it's, it is very hard to say, I think maybe only Peter Laviolette and, you know, their goaltending coach might know the answer to who's going to start that game tomorrow. I am not confident in either. And to that end, if you're in a pool On top of the fact that, you know, tipping my hand here a little bit, I don't expect Washington to go very far in the playoffs. Um, But combine that with the fact that we don't really know who's going to start, and there's no guarantee that whoever does start gets the next game. I would avoid both these goalies in your postseason pool. It's just not worth it, Uh, the risk factor, even if they somehow made it past this first round.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great call. I'm hearing the latest that I'm hearing, though, is that Vanacek might get the start ahead of Samsonov in game one. If you're looking for the game one starter, that's only hearsay right now based on a couple of reporters that I follow and the best information we have at this point in time. In terms of the blue line depth here, I did mention that Aaron Ekblad is going to be back in the fold. Of course, that puts him right to the top of the list in terms of the offensive pieces from the back end that Florida – Forward, But they've had outstanding performances from a couple other guys that I mentioned at times during the year. Gustav Forsling had a very nice second half offensively. And uh, Mackenzie Wieger is a guy that stepped up as well. And along with Brandon Montour, that gives them four guys that have figured in uh, more often than not um, in terms of the defensive scoring and, and all four of them should go in your draft because this is one team that we figure that should go on an extended run in the postseason. If you're looking at guys like Radko Gudis and Ben Chirot, those guys are more uh, in tune with the defensive side of the puck and will not yield uh, much value in terms of picking them for their offensive prowess, but they will be key to the team fortunes of this club, making that net front presence a minefield. And then they've got a guy like uh, Robert Hag in reserve. So that's another team that has seven quality NHL defenders that they can throw out there. And uh, it's a key part of the, a team that's aspiring to a long playoff run. On the flip side, we have Washington, of course, where when you talk about scoring from the back end, John Carlson's name, the forefront AJ, but I've had a lot of time for Dmitry Orlov as the second level of offensive production on the back end. And Trevor Van Riemsdyk is probably number three on my list. They rounded out with Martin Fairbury, Nick Jensen and Justin Schultz, more defensive minded. So that's the way I see it. I think Florida's got much more depth in terms of what they have to offer offensively. Their signature guy on each team should go uh, should go very early, but to your point, Justin Carlson might be one and done. So uh, proceed with caution before you pick him too early on. That's the way I see it. Uh, any further comments there and or take us into the forwards, buddy? Yeah, just
1: I would throw out there that, you know, Justin Schultz, a, a little bit more offensive. I mean, third on the team in terms of, of offensive production with 23 points. So certainly don't sleep on him in terms of, of DFS, but definitely not a player that you need to take, um, you know, in your in your pools. I don't think you just not going to get enough ice time in, in to really be a factor. Other than that, I, I agree with everything you said about the um defensive group in, in Florida. So I'll dive in to the Florida offense. Uh, they, you know, gave some guys some time off. Claude Giroux is going to be back. Alexander Barkov back, Carter Verhage, Jonathan Huberto. They rested a whole bunch of guys. And this is like a really like deep team outside of just like scoring guys. you you look at who they're scratching right now, potentially for this game, you've got Mammon, Thornton, and, uh, uh, Noah, sorry. And that, I mean, those are guys that should be bottom six players on most every other team here. So this is a really deep club uh, in terms of the bottom six, obviously at the top Huberto Barkoff, Claude Giroux could turn out to be the, the pickup of, of the deadline. It's, it's hard to say he's not already, um, but certainly if if he can help power this team even further, what a great addition he looks like, you know, Anthony Duclair rounding out the top six along with Sam Bennett centering that second line, so I love everything they can do um, on on this top six. You know, they get the opportunity to put Huberdeau and Barkov together on the power play, so they don't feel compelled to keep them together on their lines, and gives them really a, a one-two punch that's going to be hard um, for for you know the opposition to to really compete with. And then Washington, for their part. Obviously, it's all Alexander Ovechkin is is what we're going to talk about for the most part. I think they're really thin at the wing. I mean, Connor Sherry is on the first line right now. That right wing has kind of been a problem for them. We've seen TJ Oshie up there. We've seen Tom Wilson up there. And it's Kuznetsov with Ovechkin right now. Backstrom on the second line with Marcus Johansson. On paper, this looks like it should be a really strong third line. Anthony Mantha, Lars Eller, TJ Oshie. But because they shuffle it up a bunch, it, it's not always together, especially with injuries. And I would say they could really benefit if they were able to have Carl Hagelin right now. But he's dealing with a pretty significant eye injury um, right now and, and won't be available at all this season.
0: AJ, you mentioned the Florida offense. and It's kind of hard to think about where should these guys be drafted in the, in the upcoming drafts or damp drafts you've had very recently in the playoff run? Markoff for me and and Huberto, clearly the class uh, of the field on the Florida side, no doubt about it. But uh, high on the second tier uh, alongside Giroux is San Bennett at center in between Huberto and Giroux on that line. I think he's a guy that, that shouldn't last too long in drafts and should be a real consideration in DFS play. might be the cheaper of the three those guys. So keep an eye on him. And then you got to look at who's playing with Barkov on the wings. It's Duclair and Verhage. They're going to have some playoff DFS value anytime they suit up alongside Barkov on that top line. In terms of depth forwards, that might be a consideration once in a while. Mason Marchman is a net front presence that uh, has benefited w- from playing with some of the skilled players here. And he's had a career year verging on almost 20 goals this season. Sam Reinhardt on the right side. A very nice year for him as well. So uh, a wealth of options on the Florida side of things. On the Washington side, you know what? Uh, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, they do what they do. And and you'd like to say Nick Backstrom is a guy that, that you'd almost speak of in the same vein, but he's had an injury-plagued season, A.J., only limited to 47 games and 31 points. Six goals a number that leaps out to me, uh, telling me that uh, – He's been dogged by Hurts all year long, and it's really hampered his game and productivity. So I can't mention him in the same breath as the other top line players in Washington. But other guys that should be considerations in DFS play, on the cap side, Tom Wilson for sure. And that front presence on the power play and playing with the big boys. Another 52-point season for him. Connor Sheary, a guy that almost reached 20, finished with 19 and 43 points, rounding out the offensive threats for Washington. So plenty to choose from, uh, DFS played, but I'd really lean on the Florida side big time in terms of the uh, the makeup of the forward lines, AJ. In terms of the special teams units, what do you see in terms of things that might leap out to you and are worth noting in terms of the depth charts for both teams here, AJ? Anything that we missed?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Capitals is like they don't really have a, a second unit that, to be blunt, is, is very good. I mean, you've got... Uh Oshi, Kuznetsov, Carlson, and Ovechkin on the first one. And actually, oftentimes they'll play Ovechkin on he'll play the whole two minutes. And he'll be out there with the other group as well. Um, you know, we obviously have placeholders um on on rotowire because you know, we just we can't have it completely empty there. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, so I, I think that's important to factor in with the second group too. Uh, whereas You know, on the the Florida side, you're looking at uh, a pretty heavy group as well on the top Huberto, Barkov, Giroud, Declare, and Reinhardt actually is what the makeup is based on, you know, the average ice time for the last 14 days. They actually don't have a defenseman on that top group, Um, just looking at at that. Now, if Aaron Eckblad is back and available, that'll change. I'd imagine Duclair gets the drop from that group, but he'll still be on the number two one. Um, And obviously the other thing that they can throw out there if they want, they can put Patrick Hornquist out there to pester somebody in front of the net if they need to, whether it be with the first unit or the second unit. So I I definitely like the Florida power play uh, a lot better Uh, given its depth and and flexibility
0: there. Definitely. And the one other name that I'll throw out on the Washington side is Anthony Manta, AJ. I expected this guy to continue his development in in what should be a fine situation for him to develop as a, a player with offensive skills that he has, the size, the speed, and everything that I like in a player. And even uh, he really didn't take that next step, and also an in injury plague season for him, he's got second line responsibility on the power play. But like you said, that first unit will play sometimes almost to the full two minutes and and certainly uh, a right-handed shot uh, on the power play, that's that's Ovechkin's role. So that kind of steps on uh, Mantha's responsibilities as well a little bit in that regard and limits in, in that vein in terms of a, the big shooter on the power play. We come to the point now where we break down the series enough to the point where we have a pretty good handle on where we think this series is going to go. And I think we're in agreement, AJ, when I look at your pick that you put up. I got the Florida Panthers in five, and that might be being charitable, to the, the Caps. This is a series that probably won't be very close, in my opinion. And the Panthers will roll into the second round.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm Florida in five just because predicting a sweep is so difficult to do. Um, but I, I will say I would not be shocked if this ends in four games instead of five.
0: And that brings us to one of the series that I'll be watching very closely. I'm going to be going to the game tonight. My first game in a long while, and uh, so I'll be, be back in about fifteen twenty minutes, Paul. <laughs> when you're done, I'll be I'll be as quick as I can be in this one, AJ, out of regard for uh, our listeners' attention spans. But uh, the Maple Leafs. They host the Tampa lightning. It's the first home game in game one of the series that the Leafs will be having in the last, uh, since 2004, I'll say. So that's 18 years between game one assignments uh, in their home rink and, uh, There's a lot of anticipation for this series. I mean, two months ago, I said, the way this thing is playing out, I can see the Leafs playing Tampa in the first round. And uh, that's okay by me. I think they play well against the top teams in the league, and they played this team to a standstill over the four games. Some, of course, people are going to be saying they got thumped in the last game, 8-1 to in Tampa. But two weeks prior, they thumped Tampa to the tune of 6-2. to It was a four-game split on the regular season between the two clubs. And AJ, uh, two high octane offenses. The Leafs were actually outscored 16 to 12 in this matchup, and they're going to lean on special team success. I'll say this about the Maple Leafs: they they maybe had the finest special teams uh, season in the club's history, along with the record for wins and total points. Uh, if I can break that down before you get into the goalies, I'm going to say. The Leafs with 25 25.5 percent in net power play uh, that led the entire league in terms of success on the on the man advantage and on the on the shorthanded they were third overall in terms of net net uh, penalty killing at 87. So the com- combination of those numbers highest in the league among all playoff participants. The Lightning were no slouches in that vein either. They were 22 percent on the power play and 83.3 percent on the special teams penalty kill, but I think I give a slight edge to Toronto there. And, uh, boy, to me, I, I'm, I'm optimistic only because they're playing some of their best hockey of the season again after a slump, and that tied into the return of their netminder, Jack Campbell, and that leads me into the goalie breakdown. AJ, I want to hear what your thoughts are in the comparison between Campbell and Vasilevsky.
1: I mean, it's it, I don't want to take anything away from Campbell. That That's kind of my take on this before I dive in 31 wins in 49 games if he had stayed healthy and and played you know closer to 55 60 games he might have pushed for that 40 win mark Um, 39 was the league high from Bobrovsky and oh Andre Vasilevsky so I I do think he could have been right in that mix if he had played some more games so I Jack Campbell has been really good for the Leafs this season, the problem is when you consider this matchup. It's the guy on the other side of the ice is one of the best goalies in the league. There's no arguing that point. Uh, like I said, 39 wins this year, uh, tied with Sergei Bobrovsky. Played in 63 games. Nine one six was the save percentage. Two four nine the goals against average. Um, I I have to give an edge to Vasilevsky. He won the cup the last two years in a row. And I will continue to say throughout our breakdown of this until this team loses, they're the guys that you got to look to. Um, and, and I, I do think Vasilevsky remains the the top, you know, one of the top net in the league. Jack Campbell's certainly very good. It's not a wide margin. Um, you know, I, I think it's very close, but I, I give the edge to Vasilevsky.
0: Yeah. I don't think there's any disputing that fact, but uh Boy, oh boy, if they give out a nice guy award, in addition to the stats this guy's put up uh, in Toronto, Jack Campbell's become quite uh, quite the star himself. And uh, I know the players are going to play their guts out in front of him. So uh, I expect this to be a very entertaining series, AJ. In terms of the back end, uh, the Leafs, they bolstered their blue line. And I say this, as a longtime fan of this club, I cannot remember the to- last time they had eight guys that they could – move in and out of the lineup on the blue line. It was always something a bit of a search party to fill out three pairings on the back end through any of their most recent playoff runs. And that gives me more hope than anything else, uh, which might be a surprise comment. I don't think you'll hear in too many other quarters. Morgan Riley leads, leads this offense on the back end. But, uh, and he'll be partnered with Ilya Lubushkin, who's been a bit of a, bit of a regulation, revelation. He plays a very physical game. That's going to be a big factor in this series because I think the, the, the Lightning, if I remember correctly, they they are one of the clubs that loves to scrum it up often after face-offs, uh, 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 whistles are blown, rather. And uh, he's a guy that mucks it up physically, Lubushkin, and has led this team in in hitting opponents. So I think he's a guy that's going to cause the lightning forwards to keep their heads up more often than they would otherwise have considered in a matchup against the Leafs. So I think he's got a very key role in this series and the health of Jake Muzzin also is a, is a factor Uh, he has not been able to complete each of the last two playoff round runs with the Lake Leafs largely because he plays uh, uh, you know, you know what's to the wall uh, in <laughs> terms of his his uh, approach physica- physically. Another guy that will ramp things up in that sense. And TJ Brody, a shutdown defenseman with the best of them as his partner. Then on the third pairing, they've got a pair that have come a long way since Giordano has uh, joined the fold. He's really brought out the best in Timothy Lilligram. And that's your 6 back on the blue line. And in reserve, they have Brasmus Sandin and Justin Hall. So a pretty solid-looking eight-pack in Toronto's side with Morgan Riley, maybe the signature piece offensively there. Tell us, uh, AJ, what you see on the Tampa side with Victor Hedman and company.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty evenly matched. You know, you look at at least at offensive production. You know, Hedman at the the top of the you know towards the top of the league with 85 points. But uh, obviously, as you as you mentioned, you can't sleep on Morgan Riley. He had 68 points, a, a fantastic season from him. Um, then you know, you look, you got Brody, uh, you know, Hull, uh Liljigan, they all had right around 20. You go back over to Tampa, and it's pretty much the same over there, Sergachev with 38, uh, McDonough with 26, and Yamruta and with 18. So these are two pretty evenly matched groups. You know, Tampa has the benefit of uh of a guy in Zach Pagosian, who they can put in. So They probably have seven to the Leafs, eight guys that you could shuffle in and out. Um, And and I think, you know, makeup wise, you've got a couple offensive guys who get power play minutes on both teams. I, I think they're pretty evenly made up and pretty evenly matched.
0: Which takes us to the forwards, AJ. And I think you could almost make the case. Is it a similar story here? I wonder for you. It certainly looks that way to me a little bit. I'll begin again with the leaf side of things, and I'll ask you to come come back at me with the, the Tampa side. But on the Toronto side, you're looking at a team that's led by the NHL's leading goal scorer. And I haven't been able to say that in a long time with any consistency other than the last two years, thanks to uh, Austin Matthews' outstanding goal-scoring efforts in that regard. But he's uh, ably supported by a couple other guys who reached the 30-plus mark overall. Mitch Barner had a career-high 35 goals, and Willie Nylander, career-high 34. The career-high narrative is one that you think uh, realize often when you look at what the league players did this year. Michael Bunting chipped in with 63 points to lead all rookies. Don't know how that rookie race is going to turn out because – Uh, people are criticizing the fact that he's a 26 year old rookie and maybe shouldn't be in the running for that. But first year player in the league led them all in scoring in that regard. John Tavares continues to do what John Tavares does. That's a point per game in his career. He was 76 and 79 games played. So uh, the signature guys, the big dollar guys all delivered this season. Alex Kerfoot had a career high with 51 points as well. But it's two guys uh, that I'll mention now that could really play a key role in depth scoring. That's Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikhaev. Mikhaev particularly Ticketed for a second line role to start series, and Kerfoot gets a first line assignment. That could be sneaky good DFS value among those forwards. And then they got a whole host of defensive specialists, including David Kant, whose name you'll hear a lot if the Leafs have some success in the series. He'll play a key role with defensive zone faceoff starts, a uh, big part of his resume of success this season.
1: Yeah, on the Tampa Bay side, it, it is a similar look, um, but I, I don't think it quite stacks up to where Toronto is. You've got Andre Palat, Steven Stamkos, and Nikita Kucherov on that top line. Very similar, but obviously Matthew's having an, an outrageous year this year with his, his 60, uh, you know, 60 goals. Um, Brandon Hagel brought in from Chicago with Anthony Sorelli and Brandon Point, and then Nick Paul brought in um, from uh, Ottawa, on that third line um, I, I think it is a very similarly structured group. I think where it tips is that third line because you have, you know, Willie Nylander on that, that third group for, uh, for Toronto. Now maybe they move him off, you know, move Kerfoot around or, or Andre Kasha, maybe move him back. Um, and then the depth guys that they can add into the roster, look, they're going to scratch Jason Spezza tonight and the guy's got, you know, two goals and two assists in his last five games. Uh, that's a pretty good player to be scratching right now. And I, I don't think Tampa has quite that same level of depth. Obviously, Wayne Simmons adds a ton of physicality. Um, so I, while I like Tampa's group here, um, you know, I think maybe you have to give a bit of an edge, at least on paper, to, to Toronto with, um, you know, kind of a little more top heavy, a little bit deeper down the middle with Tavares as their number two um, but, uh, again, a pretty evenly matched group.
0: Yeah, and we've touched on all the big names that will be featured on the power play, so I'm not going to bother going into that detail, AJ. It's it's all the big names that we've come to expect. But a word of caution on the Tampa side, when I look at the numbers for Braden Point, 58 points in 66 games played, he was nicked up a, a little bit this season. The Minus five is the number that jumps out at me. Maybe the worst figure for any player on the team this season for a guy who... Uh, had, the last couple of years have been a playoff warrior for this team. He's going to need to return to that level to tip the scales in Tampa's favor. So that's a player to watch for me as we go forward in this set too. And uh, boy, I look into my blue and white crystal ball, AJ, and I think this team, they've played with a lot more determination that I've seen from a leaf club in years. And that gives me pause. The way that they celebrated their milestones was very businesslike. You didn't see, uh, this histrionics and wild celebrations for the, the goal scoring exploits of of uh, Matthews and certainly the other players that got career highs, the success of Jack Campbell. It was very much a business, business approach, business like approach here. It gives me pause and makes me think this team is, is ready to take the next step and they're, they're going to take on the lions of the NHL, the two time defending champs. And I think it's going to be a long series. And I think with at having home ice advantage, that tips the scales slightly in their favor for me. Leafs in seven is my call. Well, I agree
1: it's going to be a seven-game series, but I'm going to take the bolts in, in seven here. Uh, look, they haven't lost a series since 2019. Um, so until they do, it's hard to bet against these guys. Um, the Leafs are historically great at figuring out ways to lose a series. And so for me – I'm just playing the odds here uh, and, and going with Tampa in
0: seven. All right, partner. We jumped to Carolina and Boston. And, uh, boy, the regular season with this these two teams was a bit of a wipeout for, for the Bruins. They got slaughtered over three games in, in this set, too. And uh, the goal scoring was 16-1 to 1 in favor of Carolina. And when you look at it, the most lopsided head-to-head that we see on the ledger of any of the series – but in game one tonight, a lot of people are, are a little nervous for Carolina because of the situation in net, AJ, I'll let you talk about that in a second. But Freddie Anderson won't play, it looks like, to start this series, and that changes the game. Uh, in terms of the special teams, the net power play for the Hurricanes, 20.7%. The Bruins, 186 in terms of uh, the penalty killing, rather. And the power play, it's 89 Sorry, I got it backwards. 20.7% on the power play. 18.6 for the Bruins net penalty killing is 89% for the 89.5% for the Bruins and the Hurricanes at 83.2%. So the Bruins are a team that we think about, uh, the power play that they have and you f- expect them to be better than they showed at 18.6. I think they've been without Pasternak for stretches of the year and, uh, Pergeron was missing a few t- uh, sometimes during the year. So that impacted those numbers. And the fact that they don't have, uh, too many options behind the front liners here that they can count on, uh, depress those numbers. But in a short series, I look for the signature names to buoy those numbers considerably. So uh, what's your thought on on the goalie mix here uh, for both clubs and an update on Freddie Anderson if you got one?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the story of this is going to be untested, I think, is the way to, to put this. Linus Olmark has never played in a playoff game at at the NHL level. So this will be a first for him when he starts um, six years with Buffalo. will do that to you Um, on the flip side. Anti Ranta will start for Carolina, at least for game one. That's all that we've had Freddie Anderson ruled out for so far. Um, And so Ranta will make his first start uh, in a NHL playoff game. He has appeared in five others in relief over his career. So not a ton of experience here from either guy. Um, I just have never had a lot of faith in anti-Ranta. Injuries have been a problem for him throughout his career, including this season. He spent time uh, on the injured list this year as well. I'm talking about a guy who's, never, who's uh, once put up 20 wins in a season. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, like I said, Linus Olmark, not a ton of experience for him either. He had, you know, the time in Buffalo is hard to hold against a lot of guys. Many years that they struggled playing with Boston this year, 26 wins in 41 games. He's got uh, really a career best goals against average at this point. Um, so, you know, and the, the depth option here that that if Boston wants, they can go with Swayman. He had a decent season as well, 23-14-3, and three, three shutouts there. Uh, so Boston has that alternative option. I don't think uh, Carolina is going to go to their backup goalie uh, anytime soon. Um, now, obviously, things change if Freddie Anderson comes back. So it's going to depend on how long he's out. Um, but as it stands right now, I think I would give the edge to Boston. I just have very little faith in Antti Ranta as a long-term uh, you know, solution and goal.
0: Yeah, when you consider the disparity uh, that I highlighted in the regular season, and play that off against the uncertainty of the goaltending situation, it kind of narrows the odds, I think, considerably here. So the longer that Freddie Anderson's unavailable, the bigger chance the Bruins have to have a successful outcome in this series. In terms of the players that they'll be putting out in front of their goaltenders, let's go with the Bruins first. They have relied heavily on Charlie McAvoy for a couple of seasons to be the main offensive piece, but he got some help at the trade deadline with the arrival of Hampus Lindholm Although Lindholm, for his part, less than spectacular in terms of the addition that he's brought to the table. I think this is a chance for him to bite the slate clean and really show his value that merited the long-term extension that he garnered soon after his arrival in Boston. So that's the top pa- tandem. Matt Grizzly is probably the third offensive option in the mix. Here and he'll get some time on the second power play unit to spell uh, the first two guys that I mentioned and then rounding out the group is three guys more noted for the defensive structure of their game that's Brendan Carlo who is uh, maybe best best recognized as uh, an attempt at Sedeno Chara light in terms of being a giant guy on the blue line who makes it tough in front of the net Forbert and Clifton two guys that uh, try to do the same thing and that's where they bring their value in terms of of the depth of this club and they have a seventh credible guy in Mike Riley who is a minute eater that can step in uh, if any, uh, if need be here to uh, the bottom part of the roster rotation on the blue line. What's it look like for you on the Cal Carolina side, AJ? On the back end?
1: Yeah, it's going to be led by Tony D'Angelo, at least in terms of the, the offensive production, really a, a solid, solid season for him. Uh, you know, really stepped into, like, a bigger role here. You've got 51 points, 20 on the on the power play there. Jacob Slavin, tons of production out of him as well, 42 points, and most of that coming five on five. He's just got seven power play points. And even, again, Brady Skay, 39 points. So a, a ton of top-end, like, offensive production coming from this blue line. And, again, a lot of it coming at five on five, like, uh, Brady Skay, all of it, in fact, came uh, at even strength here. So I like the ability of the Carolina Hurricanes defense to produce and especially not to be as reliant on, uh, on power play numbers for that production. Uh, so I, I really like what they have out there in, in terms of the, the defensive group.
0: AJ, we turn our attention to the offensive side of the puck and teams are back at full strength. They withheld some players on the Boston side late in the schedule. Almost to get to this matchup, I think they were wary of playing in the minefield on the Atlantic side. I'll say that out loud. But uh looks like both sides are in You know, the
1: match. Leafs got some guys too, Paul. Don't make well, it they, sound like they, Boston was least, the only one to sit.
0: <laughs> the Leafs were not going anywhere up or down in the standings. Boston, though, <laughs> they had a chance to write their own destiny, destiny. And the choice they made spoke volumes for me, partner. That's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, I still hold out hope that somehow our two teams can match up in these playoffs. And I'll say that too in this, in this segment. But uh, in terms of the way that uh, Carolina li- lines up, uh, look at—they've got a lot of talent on this team offensively. Aho, Taravainen, Svechnikov—three guys that will, you'll be seeing on the power play unit there that led this team in offense. Aho, their signature offensive piece. They had their way with the Bruins in the regular season. That tells me that their skill was too much for Boston to handle, at least in those head-to-head matchups. And it's that that's going to have to be the deciding, determining factor—a uh, determining factor for Carolina's success in the series. They're looking for more out of Max Domi since he came over, not doing too much in terms of offensive contribution yet. He's there on the second line, and this is a very key playoff for him. I think he's got a chance to determine the how many zeros are after or how much money he gets in his next contract, let's say, in total. Uh, he's done very little to merit uh, a return at the same salary that he's coming off of this season. That's all, I'll say that. He's got a chance, though, to play alongside Vinny Trocek on that second line and Taravainen in what should be a formidable unit. They've split things up a little bit offensively, but Taravainen playing off the line with Aho. Instead, they've got Seth Jarvis in the mix. He represents very solid DFS value, uh, low end value, low cost value, as long as he's partnered with Aho and Stechnikov in this setup. The third line is an interesting one for me because Jordan, Jordan Stahl will get a lot of those defensive zone starts, but don't sleep on this guy as an offensive contributor. A.J., you know that full well uh, from his time in Pittsburgh. He's going to be partnered with Nino you know, Niederreiter, who had a breakout campaign for the Carolina, and they round out that group of yester yes for fast. Pretty nice look among the top nine guys here. It's also worth mentioning a 10th forward in Martin Metzcash, who's played anywhere from first through fourth line and it's and gets a look on the power play. So if you're looking at a late round pick on a flyer, Nets Cash could fill that bill for me. Uh, what say you about the opposing Bruins and their depth at forward?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's that group that we pretty much expect, right? It's the um, the perfection perfection line still not all together. They play together on on that power play, Marchant, Bergeron, and Pasternak, but they've been continuing to roll. With DeBrusque in that first spot, that gives them Pasternak with Halla and Hall on the second line. Uh, Frederick, Coyle, and Smith make out or round out the top nine here. And I think for me, you know, Pasta, they have the ability to move them. If they need a goal, they can slide them right up to that top line um, and basically recreate their power play essentially on uh, at even strength here. Um I think it's, you know, it's tough to match up with Carolina. They they're very deep. I do think they're a slightly deeper forward group, um especially when you talk about the fact that, you know, Kot Konemi, Netcash and Martinook at at times during their career have played top 9, top 6 roles. That's certainly not the case in in Boston, you know, um they're they're not quite as deep in my opinion, although they do have a very solid veteran fourth line, just maybe not quite as offensively talented as some of the other groups. So um, I, I think they match up well. Uh, I, if I have to pick an edge, I maybe go Carolina. But if you ask me again in another five minutes, I might go Boston.
0: It's that close. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm leaning Carolina offensively. but uh, You can't discount how dominant the, the top line for the Bruins can be. And if they get you into that grinding physical game, uh, a lot of players can jump up and bite you if they can keep it close. It's just – if they can keep it close, is a big part of it for me. In terms of players to watch for on the power play, of course, for Carolina, D'Angelo is a power play linchpin on the back end, driving things, and he'll play alongside Ajo, who's probably the puck mover, uh, setting things up offensively in the offensive zone, much like Mitch Marner in Toronto. Toibo Teravainen, Trocek, and Svechnikov on the first unit. Seth Jarvis, Kotkaniemi, and Nino Niederreiter on the second one. And Jacob Slavin is a guy worth mentioning too, AJ, in terms of defensive depth and scoring from the back end. A guy who's had a very nice season, and he slots in as the defenseman on the power play on the second unit alongside the aforementioned Marty Metz catch. for them. On the Boston side, of course, the perfection line is going to be the unit that is featured on the power play and you look for them to to kind of tip the scales in Boston's favor whenever they get that chance. Partnered with them and McAvoy, another player to watch for is Taylor Hall who has stood in very nicely with Boston. Made a smart choice re-signing there in my opinion to uh, re- reignite his career. And uh, a guy also who's done a very nice job maybe coming off almost being traded by this team. His request is Jake DeBrust had a career best year in terms of goal scoring. He factors into the offense on the second line, but also it's as a top six winger here. And Charlie Coyle is going to be a key driver of the second scoring line and the second power play unit here as well. Matt Grizzlick, I talked about him and Ham, Hampus Lindholm. home. They'll be the guys that factor in as the defense pairing on the second unit. AJ, if you look at the regular season results and this set too, you think Carolina's going to blow Boston out, but missing Freddie Anderson tightens things considerably. How do you see it playing out, buddy?
1: I think that's what tips the scales for me. Um, I, I am going to go Bruins in seven uh, because of the, the Freddie Anderson absence. If he only misses one game, then maybe I have a little more faith in Carolina, um, you know, coming out in this one, but as it stands right now, Again, just just
0: no faith in Antti Ranta, um, and so I've got, I've got Boston in seven. And I'm going to say Freddie comes back and he finally exercises his personal demons against the Bruins, and uh, maybe it's a heart over the head issue for me, but also that I can't overlook the way that Carolina dominated this this uh, setup. So I'm going to say Hurricanes in six. So we got a couple that we disagree on. That's good. Good for our show. AJ, the final series we're going to look at is the one that's probably nearest, obviously nearest and dearest to your heart, but I think you're nervous based on what I saw in the regular season between the Rangers and Pittsburgh and uh, a certain situation in the Nets for the Penguins that you'll dive into shortly. But allow me to recap for you, as painful as it is, pretty (laughs) one-sided Regular season head-to-head matchup between these clubs, the Rangers winning three to one, and outscoring the Pens eleven to four on the year. In terms of special teams and that power play, the Rangers twenty-four point three, and I was stunned when I saw this number. AJ the Pens only sixteen point nine, considering that they feature some some of the best uh, players in the National Hockey League on that power play unit that power penalty killing a lot tighter in fact it's a coin flip here both in the 85 to 86 percent range but that disparity on the power play was a shocker for me now and uh, i'll begin with your rebuttal to maybe those comments and uh, the power play and then uh, slide us into the goalie story and uh, the injury situation that the penguins are dealing with
1: yeah i mean they they have um you know malcolm was out for a good chunk of the season that certainly didn't help the last several years, the Penguins have been uh, pretty bad at giving up shorties, um, so that's certainly part of the problem there as well in terms of net PK. Um, the you know the regular or net power play rather, the regular power play numbers aren't great. It's twenty point two, but yeah, when you switch from you know power play percentage to net power play percentage, that's a pretty significant drop between the two. Um, in terms of the net mining, Paul, you mentioned it. It's going to be Casey DeSmith, at least for the first two games here. Um, Tristan Jari out with a, a broken foot. And so, yeah, it'll have to be Casey DeSmith to carry the load for Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, the Rangers will have uh, Igor Shesterkin, whose name, uh, you know, will probably be among uh, contention for, for the Vesna here at the end of the season even though he didn't play quite as many games as some of the other guys at the top of this list, uh, his save percentage leads away at nine, you know, nine, three, five. And, and so you've got a guy who's established and set going up against a backup, uh, not exactly a recipe for success for the, the Pittsburgh Penguins here.
0: Well, uh, on the blue lines for the respective clubs, AJ, that's where, uh, We'll take it next, and I'll start us off by looking at the Rangers blue line. I'll get you to talk about the Pittsburgh depth chart exclusively here because I know you're so well-versed in it. But on the Rangers side, Adam Fox is a guy who has been in the discussion for top-scoring defenseman and maybe the best uh, defenseman category for the James Norris race, had a, a great year and uh, led the team back from the back end as well, with his numbers totaling 74 points on 63 assists and 11 goals. A plus 18 tells me that he's pretty good in his own end as well. And in terms of the rest of the the pieces that the Rangers will surround him with, Ryan Lindgren is his his on-ice partner on a regular shift and uh, defers to him in terms of the offensive side of the game. On the second unit, they have two credible guys that can carry the mail offensively, and they play a tough game defensively, too. I'm talking about young Keandre Miller, and then Jacob Truba, a veteran of the NHL, who has kind of rediscovered his offensive game this year in New York to be maybe considered by me the second most valuable offensive producer on the back end. And then third-pairing guys, they brought along Braden Schneider, who, for my money, was a, a great pickup by them in the draft. And he's come along steadily, if not spectacularly, but I think he's going to be a key part of this back end for years. And he gets a real taste of it now as the third-pairing guy alongside Patrick Nemeth. But behind them, they have guys like Justin Braun and Jared Tenorti, who have played in the NHL before, even Libor Hayek. So they've got a bunch of players to choose from on the back end. But if you're looking for offensive pieces, I think you can figure on the top four being those guys, Lindgren, Miller and Truba all behind Adam Fox.
1: Well, on the Penguins side, it's, it's really a two-man show. You've got Chris Letang, obviously, at the top. He continues to be on top of his game. 68 points this year in, in 78 games. He quarterbacks that number one power play unit with Crosby and Malkin and Gensel and Rust. Um, so really, uh, uh, you know, some good opportunities from there. The breakout guy this year has been Mike Matheson. 31 points. That's a career high for him. Eleven goals, also a career high. Um, so really, has has found a, a really solid offensive side of his game. Part of the problem that Penguins have right now is uh, really that other pairing, that Marcus Pedersen John Marino pairing. It hasn't been great offensively. It gets moved around a ton in front of the net. They're just not you know physical enough, at least so far this season. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Nathan Boilo if he's cleared to play. Um, he, he would add a much more physical aspect to the game. Mark Friedman could be in the mix there as well. Um, the one guy I would be shocked to come out of the lineup uh, would be Chad Ruweedle. His numbers have just been solid, just defensively solid. Um, he's not an offensive guy for them. 13 points this year, which is actually a personal best played in 78 games which is well above any mark that he set in a previous season 44 was his previous high and they just put him out there night after night and he's he's very solid there you look at the plus minus it's only a 2 but you're talking about a guy who's playing 15 minutes a night not getting any power play opportunities not really offensively uh, talented so um you know having a positive plus minus there is 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 really good for him so uh, I would expect maybe we'll see uh, Patterson or Marino scratched at at some point here. Um, and, but yeah, if similarly to the Rangers, there are some top guys that can produce offensively um, some good shutdown guys, but I think I have more questions about some of the deeper options here for the Penguins uh, blue line than I would about the Rangers.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. A slight edge goes to the Rangers for me just because of the, the option that they have and the, uh high-end uh, opportunities for three different players that bring the mail for them. In terms of forward ranks, it's a little tighter uh, in terms of the comparison, and that's because of the star power of the Penguins. I'll let you talk about the forwards in a sec, but from my side, uh, we look at the, for my the Rangers' side, Mika Zibanejad. My side. I see how it is, Paul. I see. I see. I for ah, The Rangers. That lines drawn, I suppose, AJ. What can I say? <laughs> but uh, look, at Mika Zibanejad is a guy who's – been a top point producer maybe that not a lot of people recognize as regularly as they should. And he's kind of played in the shadows of, of Panarin for the last couple of years and then throw in the fact that Chris Kreider becomes a 50-goal scorer. I think Zibanejad could be had cheap, cheaper than some of those the other two guys in, in DFS play, if I don't, don't miss my guess there. But he might be just as valuable as anybody the Rangers will trot out. And then a sneaky good value on the top line is Frankie Vetrano, who's been a depth scorer as well as a top six player throughout his career. But when he gets a chance in a top line role, he's delivered the goods too. So he could be a really good sneaky, good uh, value play up front as well because of the numbers that he's put up in, in limited opportunity. I mean, in 22 games played 13 points, eight of them goals and a 14.3 shooting percentage scoring percentage that tells the story that I just said. So back in the numbers, back me up there and, uh, I look uh, elsewhere on the Rangers roster and I see value in Ryan Strom as a second line center. But the guy that kind of completes uh, the group is the recently acquired Andrew Kopp. He came over from Winnipeg and this fit in like a glove here uh, in, in terms of the offense. And he plays a strong physical two-way game, gives this team some more bite up front and, and really rounds out and solidifies a nice top six that afford uh, them uh, to back off on the minutes for uh, Alexis Lafreniere. was a, shown flashes of that number one uh, overall draft status from a couple of years ago, but he's now maybe more properly located in a third-line role alongside opposite uh, Capocaco, another guy who was a high-end draft pick, uh, looking for the kids to to drive that third line around Philip Hito, who centers it. So nine credible offensive pieces on the back end for the Rangers, and uh, how are the Penguins going to oppose that up front, AJ?
1: Well, the problem with Pittsburgh is that uh, on paper, they're they're solid. I mean, Brian Rust, uh, Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, great first line, Malkin, Raquel. Um, right now, it looks like Danson Heinen is the second line, but Jason Zucker skating again today. There's probably not a good chance he'll be ready for game one, maybe game two. Um, and again, on paper, the third line, Jeff Carter, Brock McGinn, Casper Kapanen, Could be really good. But the problem is right now, guys aren't living up to expectations. Brian Rust, pointless in nine games. Um, That's certainly not good enough for him. Kapanen, goalless uh, in his last 14 games. He's honestly just been a bust all season long. Um, Raquel has been uh, hit or miss. You know, he'll he'll go off for two, three points in a night here or there, and then go a couple games without a point. So, uh, on paper... I like this team very much. I, in practice, it has not looked uh, good enough of late. And so for me, you compare these top nines, and I like the Rangers' options a little bit better here.
0: Well, partner, we've talked about all the star players on these teams, but I'll finish the thought on their power plays. The, the Penguins, of course, Malkin and Crosby going to drive this offense. The value play on their first power play is, me, is Brian Rust. Uh, Jay Kensel, the trigger man from the back end alongside Chris Letang, a very formidable looking group. I don't know why they don't score at a higher rate and defend better. Maybe that's the part that you highlighted too. They give up a little too much in terms of the scoring chances going the other way. Keep an eye on Jeff Carter, the way that they use him too. He'll float in and out of, of the scoring uh, opportunities around this team as well. Ricard Raquel, I have to say a bit of a disappointment for, for me, KJ, you're free to argue that point, but he is another guy that, that should be helpful in this offense and could be a, a dark horse contributor for this club in the postseason. I suppose that Pen- Penguins have if Penguins fans have any higher hopes than, uh, than you've espoused so far. I think you covered the, the Pittsburgh side very well in total, but now it's time for me to ask the difficult question of you. How do you see this series playing out?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to go well for for my Penguins. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I, I will obviously be cheering for the opposite to be true, um, but if I have to look at these teams straight up and, uh, and assess where they're at, I think the Rangers in six makes a lot of sense. Um, I, you know, it could certainly be sooner, could be a little bit longer. um, But I do think the Rangers are going to come out on top of this one, regardless of how many games it goes. But six is my guess.
0: Well, AJ, we went a little long on this segment, but we always do. This is the longest episode we do every year, the first round NHL playoff preview. So we will dispense with the DFS uh component this week. We'll bring it back the next time when we go into the second round and have a different focus on DFS, which will probably involve stacking with fewer teams involved. But uh, we've covered the eight series. We've done it live for the first time ever. There were a couple of bumps in the, along the road. So excuse me for that. But uh, partner, I'm looking forward to the game starting tonight. Any final thoughts before we sign off?
1: No, let's, uh, as the famous saying goes, let's do that hockey.
0: All right, I'm with you, and I'm excited to keep the sweater on and head down downtown Toronto to see first game in that series, and uh, I hope my boys don't disappoint me tonight. Please, God, give me a break. <laughs> in any case, that wraps up our look around the league and uh, the, the first-round playoff preview edition of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. RotoWire, signature NHL hockey pop. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at two 24 As always, we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.